When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff, here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo, and we are excited. We're looking ahead. The 2023 Top 100 Draft Prospects list is out, and the uh, draft lottery took place last week at the winter meetings in San Diego, and we've already got an early case of draft fever. There's all, all kinds of stuff going around right now. COVID, obviously, the flu, RSV, now... We've got draft fever. And, and last week at the winter meetings, we waited around with bated breath for a big trade. Never happened. We left, and then the big trade went down. A three-teamer, was it nine players, guys? Is that right? I think that's right. The A's, the Brewers, the Braves, Sean Murphy, Contreras, a bunch of prospects. We'll break that down, and we will answer a couple questions from the mailbag. Guys, how's your uh, how's your draft fever i know you just got over rule five draft fever so this is you know kind of a, a, another bout for you jim, jim got the rule five booster so he was okay <laughs> see the, the, that, that would kind of be the like the jim callis fever scale instead of 20 to 80 it would be like rule five to rule four um <laughs> so um uh yeah no I, it's it's funny as i've been been interacting with with a lot of people in the in the draft industry as, as jonathan has been like i'm lamenting like i wish we could see these guys play. I wish the draft were in a month. Like I'm, I'm ready to go now and I'm going to have to, I guess, take a cold shower or something. I don't know. Seven month long cold shower. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, like we, and like the way we do things with our schedule, you know, we've got the top 100 coming up. Then we have the top thirties and then we have spring training. We, we, we go all in on the draft right now. And it's very exciting. We have all these opinions and we have like 120 names. We want to jam onto our top 100 and then we won't do much draft wise until April. So, um, it's, 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 it's tough. I'm, I'm I, I have this draft fever and then we, well, we're going to have a draft today, right? We're going to have a draft draft. So that will maybe, maybe ameliorate some of my fever. That's right. So we had the idea to have Jim and Jonathan, uh, draft, draft prospects. And then uh, once Jim's cold shower is over uh, and the draft occurs seven months from now, we will see which of our draft gurus has selected best. Uh, we'll have him take five players. And uh, then once the draft comes around, we'll see uh, where those players actually go in the draft. The, the goal here will just be to uh, pick the guys who go highest in the draft come July. <clears throat> We're not going to do that just yet, though. Let's talk about... Uh, this draft top 100 draft prospects list and let's talk about the draft class overall uh, what is the general consensus about this class how do you how, you want to rate the class on a on a 2080 scale i don't know if you've if you've thought about it in those terms but i know jim you're writing the overview so i don't know if you've gotten the sense from people i'll let you go first i i think most of the drafts have you know strengths and weaknesses i mean it feels like a Better than average draft in terms of college position players. Um, there's a lot of interesting college pitchers. I do think a good number of them have to prove, although compared to last year, I guess, yeah. Jonathan, we'd rather have something to prove rather than coming back from Tommy John surgery. <laughs> yes. Um, so, like, I feel like the pitching – I feel like the college class, especially compared to last year, is, is stronger. There's – I think four really good high school hitters are going to go at the top of the draft and then somewhat like, like drop off, but the college, you know, hitting crop is pretty good. Hi. I mean, the high school hitting crops pretty good. Maybe a little top heavy, maybe the, 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 the slackest part of the class, Jonathan, I would say is maybe the prep arms there are interesting prep arms, but I don't think there's a guy right now, like there's not a Dylan Lesko or a Brock Porter like we had last year, you know, a healthy Dylan Lesko before you, Tommy John. I, I don't think there's that 
high school arm, you're like, oh, that guy's definitely going in the first 15 picks. So, but, but there are some interesting high school arms, you know, led by Noble Meyer and Charlie Soto. So I think overall, maybe I, maybe I'd go 55 on the class. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm feeling optimistic yeah, about the class. That, that, you know, I was, I, it's exactly the grade I was, uh, I was thinking of. Cause I do think, I mean, you, you touched on all the, the quadrants. Uh, and I think there's, there is a drop off after the top, but there is some depth. And I even think even with some of those high school arms, and those, those are the guys that always, you know, come draft times tend to drop down a little bit. Sometimes they get paid. But I think that, um, you know, some of those guys, and you mentioned Noble Meyer and Charlie Soto, could float up if they come out lights out in the, in the spring. Um, a little harder for Noble Meyer in, in Oregon because people are going to have to wait. But uh, I do think there is, uh, you know, a bit of everything. And, you know, to your point or adding on to your point, I think the biggest difference in the positive front compared to last year are the college pitchers. And yes, maybe they have something to prove, but there are legitimate arms who could go in the top 10. Um, last year, it was a stretch, uh, you know, and I know Kumar Rocker went high and all that, but, um, but, and he wasn't really a college pitcher, I guess. I don't know, but he was in a category of stuff. Anyway, uh, my point being that like last year, because of all the injuries, that was a big hole in that draft class that has been filled by some interesting names. All right. Let's uh let's start at the top of the list here and let's let's get into some of the particulars and some of the players at the top of the list. First of all, we have Dylan Cruz, LSU outfielder at the very top, Chase Dollander, Tennessee right-hander number 2, Wyatt Langford, Florida outfielder number 3, Paul Skeens, uh LSU right-hander number 4, Jacob Gonzalez, Mississippi shortstop at number 5. Uh, before we get to the couple of high school bats that you guys mentioned, Max Clark from Franklin High School in Indiana and Walter Jenkins from South Brunswick in North Carolina. Uh, and then back to the college ranks with Enrique Bradfield, uh, Vanderbilt outfielder at number eight, Jacob Wilson, Grand Canyon shortstop at number nine, and Hurston Waldrop, right-hander out of Florida, rounding out the top 10 at this point guys dylan cruz is not like a uh slam dunk one one at this point does he have that sort of separation from the rest of the guys at the top i no. i mean but i think that the top three right now have sort of separated themselves um some people might even say the top two depending on who you talk to but cruz dollander and langford uh are the three names that have sort of jumped out. And then uh, you know, Paul Skeens is super interesting, but you know he transferred from Air Force to, to LSU. I think people want to see what he does. He was ridiculous in the fall, uh, but people are going to need to see him do it consistently, LSU, for him to sort of maintain where he is in our, in our rankings. Uh, so there's a little, the teeniest of question marks for him. But Jim, right? I think as we were talking and getting feedback, it looks like Cruz, Dollander, and Langford are the are the top, clearly the top three. Yeah, no, I think that's I think that's that's definitely the case. I think you're absolutely right on Skeens. He 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 showed the potential to throw himself into the one one race this mm-hmm. fall, but it's it's very excited. It's very easy to get excited about fall ball because it's shorter stints. It's very small sample sizes, but he did look great. You know, if Jacob Gonzalez combines the power that he had as a sophomore with the hitting ability, you know, translating into a higher batting average that he did as a freshman, and you're convinced he could play shortstop, you could talk about him maybe. You know, Max Clark has got tons of tools. He doesn't have the track record of the college guys, obviously, you know, but, you know, big makeup too. So I, I think, you know, this could expand. But I think right now, if the draft were today and you were making the pick based on talent, not based on moving money around, which is you know what the Pirates did the last time they did it. They, they moved money around. Mm-hmm. I, I think we'd be wondering Cruz versus Dollander versus Langford. Yeah, and I had, you know, I think it's interesting because Cruz and Langford obviously uh, are both college outfielders. Uh, and I had uh, two different like national level scouts who 
sort of were guessing, but they 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 were thinking that when we get to draft day, Langford will go in front of Cruz, uh, mostly because he's a little bit more athletic, runs a little bit better. But we haven't seen him play center field yet uh, because he played left with Judd Fabian of Florida. So I think that's going to be a really interesting whether they go one, two, or two, three, or even three, four, whatever, to have two college outfields right at the top, both playing center field, um, I, I think it's going to be really interesting to to watch the two of them and where they where they end up going. Yeah, and it, you know, it's I think the ability to play center field could play into that. Like I think they both have a mm-hmm. chance. Uh, you know, I think Cruz maybe has a slightly better chance in Langford. I don't think either one of them is a slam dunk center fielder. So we'll, right. we'll see. And then you have Dollander who, you know, I think he's depending on how like far back you want to go. He's probably the best college pitching. He's better than, than Jack Leiter. He's better than Kumar Rocker. He's better than Casey Mize. I think you have to go back to either Garrett Cole in 2011 or to Steven Strasburg in 2009 to find a college pitching prospect better than Chase Dollander. I mean, he's got the potential for four plus pitches, plus control, tremendous track record. Um, you know, as, as our good friend John Hart always used to say when we did prospect shows with him, Jonathan, this is what they look like. Um, so he he's firmly in that mix too. I mean, you know, the pe- you know, there's always risk with pitchers. But he's about as good a college pitching prospect as we've, as we've seen in the last decade. Man, that's that's high praise. I mean, Casey Mize was uh, kind of clear cut number one draft prospect in in twenty eighteen, and you're saying that uh, Dallander is better than Mize. I am. I, I, I and I and I liked Casey Mize a lot as a prospect. You know, especially he was the best player in that draft. I, I don't think that draft was as strong. Um, as this one, I, you know, I don't think at the time we thought it was especially strong, but, you know, I mean, if Casey Mize was in this draft, then we'd probably be talking about him in the top four, um, uh, you know, with, with the other three. Um, but I don't think he'd be the clear number one. And it felt like in 2018, Casey Mize was the clear number one. I mean, you know, at the top of that draft went what Mize, Joey Bart, Nick Madrigal, Alec Baum, Jonathan India. Um, those aren't, a lot of classic, you know, top five picks. Yeah, our uh, our top five draft prospects that year: Mize, Singer, Madrigal, Liebertor, and Carter Stewart. Okay, uh, back to this year's list. Uh, we basically worked our way down to, conveniently, the high school outfield prospects and Max Clark and Walker Jenkins. Uh, what what separates these two? Are they are they similar at all? It looks like Jenkins is more. Well, power power over hit there, and Clark has tools across the board. Uh, obviously, they're ranked back to back here at six and seven, so uh, obviously not a lot separating the two. Uh, but g- give us your take on these two guys. Yeah, I mean, those are the clear top two high school prospects in the draft. I think they're a cut above everybody else. Um, they've both been famous for a while. Uh, you know, Max Clark. You know, I, I think the only question is power, and it's is he going to have more than average power? But you know, I have guys. Like, I, I, we went sixty hit on him. I have guys who'd go seventy hit on him. It's seventy run. It's sixty five arm. It's sixty center field. Um, it, it's a great makeup. Um, tons of personality. You know, tons of success. Key member of the eighteen and under World Cup gold medalist team. A lot of clutch hits uh, in that tournament for them. Just a very dynamic player. He's more athletic than Walker Jenkins, who's not a bad athlete, but Walker's six foot three, a little bit bigger and more filled out than Max Clark. Um, he's probably more of an average runner now or projects to be average in the future, but Jenkins could have big power potential. Um, you know, he could theoretically have, you know, if he keeps some of his speed, solid or better tools across the board. And I mean, shoot, he's probably the best high school position prospect to come out of North Carolina since Josh Hamilton. I'm not saying he's Josh Hamilton. Uh, also a guy with great makeup as well. Um, you know, and Max Clark is probably the best high school position prospect to come out of Indiana ever. Um, so two very exciting guys. Um, I think, that, you know, we're going to have a lot of interesting duels. You got Cruz 
you know, you, you got Cruz Langford, like we talked about, you have Clark Jenkins. Yeah. We'll, we'll see if Paul Skeens can, can, you know, make a strong challenge to chase Dollander, but it's, there's a lot of interesting, okay, who's better uh, debate, you know, from the, the same demographic. It, it's kind of a cool draft that way. You know, one of the things that I think is kind of impressive with Clark and Jenkins. So first Jenkins had a handmade injury. So he, uh, and he tried to play through it, um, which was, you know, maybe not smart. Uh, and then eventually had to shut it down. Like it was a shame we didn't get to see Clark and Jenkins probably in center and right field for team USA. Um, you know, and Clark overall did not have a, uh, did not have a great summer in terms of like the numbers he put up. He, you know, he hit pretty well for team USA in international competition, but the thing that stands out for both of them, you mentioned makeup. Um, so even though neither of them had great summers, they showed enough glimpses that they didn't get knocked down at all. And and you can't talk to a scout about either one of them without their makeup and how hard they work and how coachable they are, how that comes up. And I know there are a lot of people, especially with Max Clark, because he's got so much energy and that big personality and the, you know, the the long flowing blonde hair and all the eye black and he's like super high energy, but he is a sponge. There were coaches during PDP league who, without me asking, went out of their way just to talk about how much he soaked up their knowledge and how much he likes to talk hitting and talking hitting to both of them. Uh, they are, they are wise beyond their years in terms of what they need to do with their swing and things of that nature. So it, I'm excited to see them be healthy and come out in the spring. Um, you know, a little more difficult for Max Clark in, in Indiana. Uh, with all due respect to Indiana high school baseball, Max Clark could fall out of bed and, and be the best player in the state. So, uh, you know, performance wise, it may be hard for him to, to do much, but he's going to, both of them are going to continue to impress scouts with how they carry themselves. Jim, you said maybe the best high school hitting prospect out of indiana ever uh did, did you go back and yeah i'm curious whether who, who he's uh up against there yeah who he's beating you, you know i did i'm gonna have to yeah, go I back and you do probably my... did i didn't didn't know if you I, had I, I i would not i would not just throw that out there willy-nilly but um i i'm i'll give you the highest drafted high school position but i have to call up the search on my computer it was there, I don't think there was anybody notable because I would have said, you know, the best since so and so. But uh, here we go. First question of the day for you: Who is the highest drafted high school position player in Indiana history? Do either of you know? I tend to only think of pitchers. Um. I do not. That's why I asked you. <laughs> I'm scrolling down. I'm, I'm looking. I'm looking. I, I don't think we're going to get a first rounder. No, here we go. He played in the big leagues. Gary Thurman was uh, the 21st overall pick in 1983. The, the best recent one was Colson Montgomery a couple of years ago. And, and the White Sox are hoping he will eclipse Gary Thurman's um, career. Gary Thurman did get to the big leagues. But, uh, yeah, there have not been a lot of. Uh, what about um, what about Nick Schnell? He was a he was a sandwich pick, so he went thirty second overall. Maybe maybe that was a first round pick that year, but he he went thirty second overall. But yeah, he's 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 better than Nick Schnell, and I I did like Nick Schnell better than Preston Mattingly, better than Justin O'Connor, two other recent first round picks, better than AJ Zapp. So I guess not a very good history of of high school first round picks from Indiana that hopefully Max Clark will reverse. <laughs> okay, let's round out the top ten here. We we have Enrique Bradfield, Jacob Wilson, and Hurston Waldrop. Bradfield, the name that uh, it, we've been hearing for, it seems like, for, forever now. Um, uh, he's only 21 years old, uh, outfielder from Vanderbilt. Uh, it seems like, in having talked to you guys over the years about him, that the question was whether there was going to be enough pop. Yeah, you know, and it's. I think you guys know. The profile I like the least is the dude who can run and doesn't do a whole lot else or, you know, or, or at much at the expense of power. But I think in Bradfield's case, he, he he's more than that. I mean, you're talking 80 runner. I, I'd go 70 on the center field. He gets a lot of Kenny Lofton comparisons. He won me over some more 
You know, he's not going to be a big time slugger, but after homering once as a freshman, he homered eight times last year. He does have some pull side power. I think he can get you 10, 12, 15 home runs. Um, and I think he's going to be an on base machine who's a force on the bases and a great center fielder. So that, that that's a really, really good player. Yeah, it's interesting because I saw him. I mean, this, you know, it, 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 he was in Jim's area, uh, both in high school and now. But um, I saw him in PDP League. And then I saw him while I was covering PDP League this last summer. The, the college team had their trials. Um, and, you know, <laughs> he has, I don't want to say he's transformed his body because he's still not the biggest guy in the world. But I remember seeing him in PDP League. Right? He was super fast, and all he did was you know beat the ball on the ground and use his legs. And I, what little glimpses I saw of the, the of the the college trial stuff, he he's he's much stronger already. He can drive the ball. I, I think your your estimates there that sounds about right. He's not going to have the the bat knocked out of his hands, which was what the worry was at a high school. Um, you know, but it's interesting. He's one of those guys who was a known quantity in high school, um, but opted to go to college. Now, I don't know if someone could have paid him, uh, but there are a bunch of guys in this class, right, Jim, who, you know, who were names in high school. Dylan Cruz took his name out of the draft, we know. But, you know, that 2020 draft was shortened and, uh, you know, there's some benefits now. No, you're right. It, it's funny. That's come up with a few scouting directors I've talked to, uh, and they've pointed out that because of the COVID year, we had a five-round draft instead of a normal draft, and it really affected the bonus pools. The bonus pools were tighter. You, you obviously didn't have a lot of flexibility. You couldn't go sign your six or ten rounders, and, and and you know, un, you know, get high school, you know, college seniors, and save a bunch of money there. And you're right. Cruz is an example. Uh, uh, Bradfield's an example. These were guys who were known out of college who in a normal year, you know, like your, your, your first tier guys still got paid in 2020, your, your top tier high school guys, but those second tier guys that you're trying to get $2 million, say in the second round or 3 million in the sandwich round didn't happen. And I also say too, there are a number of pitchers who were on scouting radars. And if they had a full season, they might've shown better stuff and they might have popped more. And if we had a normal draft, there might have been the money to pay them. Like like Chase Dollander's, I, I think, a perfect example of that. You know, he began to blossom, uh, you know, that year, you know, on the showcase circuit going into his senior year. You know, he wasn't a top, top guy. But who knows? I mean, he came out. I mean, he's been great, you know, his whole college career starting at Georgia Southern. Uh, you know, and maybe his stuff, you know, pumps up that spring and he gets paid. I remember talking to Kyle Harrison who, who did get paid by the Giants in the third round. And, you know, if you remember, guys, I mean, Kyle Harrison, when we saw him at PDP League, you know, he was polished over stuff. He was this really polished high school lefty. And since he's been in pro ball, he's pretty much been mid-90s with a nasty slider and struck out guys everywhere he's gone and actually been more learning to tame his stuff than, you know, exuding as much polish as he did as a high schooler. And I talked to him in spring training this year, and I just said, hey – you know, when did this happen? And he said he actually, I think he had one start in his high school season. And he said he threw like that in that start. And he thinks that he had a normal high school season. He would have shown that stuff as a high school senior, but we just didn't get to see that season for a lot of guys. So in, in an odd sort of way, COVID wreaking havoc on the 2020 draft, I think has really bolstered the college crop for the 2023 draft. It's also wreaked havoc with my institutional memory because uh, Enrique Bradfield was in Florida for high school, which is my area, American heritage. You'd think I'd remember that. So I just wanted to correct uh, correct that uh, little misfire by me. All right. Rounding out the top 10, we've got a couple guys here, one from uh, sort of program on the rise in Grand Canyon and another from Florida, which has, uh, as often is the case, uh, multiple guys at the top of the list. We have two Players from Florida in the top 10, two from LSU, but number nine and number 10, Jacob Wilson and Herson Waldrop. Yeah, they're, uh, I mean, both are interesting. I think we've, you know, we've talked a good amount about Langford, who, uh, you know, has uh, a lot of tools, um, you know, is athletic and really hit. Uh, there's plenty of power. 
Um, there, there's, there is five tool potential. I think if he shows that he can play center field, he'd been a third baseman and a catcher in high school and then moved, you know, been playing, uh, left field last year for the Gators. He'll move over to center, which had Fabian gone, um, sort of brought him up to scout as sort of a right-handed hitting Brian Giles type who like, you can be like, well, Brian Giles, but like Brian Giles had a good career. So, but he's, you know, he, he's strong. He's not that big and he, you know, but he runs well. Um, Waldrop uh, is fascinating um, because he, he transferred. Um, he was at Southern Miss, uh, was in the rotation for Southern Miss last year, had a, had a huge year, then moved to Florida. Uh, so the Florida scouts were just getting to know him and he threw very well in the fall. We'll throw in the caveat that Jim had about, uh, about fall being a short uh, amount of time. But this is a guy who touches 98-99, uh, hard slider, uh, misses a ton of bats. He's got a decent changeup. Uh, you know, he doesn't throw it that much because he doesn't need to. There's a little bit of effort. He's super up-tempo. Um, so he's going to have to show a little more consistency there because that does impact his command and control. If he irons those out, I did have some scouts who thought that he is one of those guys who could float up towards Dollander and Skeens in terms of top college pitchers in the class. I was going to assail you, Jonathan, for stealing Waldrop for your region from Southern Miss, but I guess I stole Paul Skeens from my region from Air Force. So You did. It, it kind of balances out. I have no complaints. I was going to say, you know, Jason threw in, you know, Jacob Wilson there is super interesting too, you know, son of a big leaguer. Uh, Jack Wilson, who I believe is on the coaching staff at Grand Canyon now, yep, and probably the best pure hitter in college baseball uh, this season, struck out seven times in 275 plate appearances last year. I did not, I did not misspeak. Yes, seven times in 275 plate appearances. I think, you know, the the questions on him. I mean, he's going to go very good in the draft. He could go higher if he shows more power and you feel better about him playing shortstop this year. But if you're just looking for, you know, the best bat-to-ball school skills in the college ranks, those belong to Jacob Wilson. All right. We are going to take a break. And when we come back, Jim and Jonathan will draft their top draft prospects. They're going to take five players each. And uh, seven months down the road, we'll see who did best. That's coming up next on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Jason Ratliff, Jim Callis, Jonathan Mayo. We are talking 2023 draft. Uh, just broke down the new top 100 prospects list that is uh, up on the site as we speak. Uh, well, actually not as we speak, but as you listen. Uh, guys, let's do this. Let's draft. Uh, we're going to have you pick five players each. I, I'm assuming that, you know, this won't go straight down the list because you guys probably... Uh, like some guys better than the other does, and uh, maybe you uh, have some different views on how these guys will go come July, and of course a ton to happen between now and then, so this is all uh, based on kind of where these guys stand and what you see in terms of what will transpire over the next many months, but uh, as usual, we have not determined who will go first in this draft. Uh, I was I was typing out on our on our google doc here the draft uh framework to plug in the players and jim and jonathan were watching me type live it was very exciting and i <laughs> accidentally typed uh, somehow i typed jonathan's name it started to come out as jilly i have no idea why but because of that jonathan you get the first pick right, well that was my nickname in elementary school so <laughs> um i just want to say before you pick jonathan that i can't believe jason does not have faith that we've nailed the exact order 
in which the first 100 players in the draft <laughs> would go with the top 100. And we're just going to, I think we should just draft one through 10 in order and protest. <laughs> well, well, we'll it's funny because I was going to say two things. Uh, one is that our, like, our order for, for our draft top 100 is based on you know what we think is you know, how the talent lines up and not necessarily how they'll get drafted and two i'm you know uh, as we speak we'll you know haven't written yet but we'll be putting out a first round mock um and that will be the only mock i will do for all the 2023 draft i will nail it in this first go round because that's usually what happens in december um all right so you know, it's interesting. I, I, I'm going to get in your head here, Jonathan. Yeah. I think you, the Pirates have this pick. Yes. So I think you ought to look for a guy they can save money on and spread their bonus pool money around. I'm not. So I, I, I don't think you should take well, any of so the top we should, three guys. We should make it clear that how we're how we're measuring and how we're scoring this is the the lowest cumulative score wins. So we're looking right. To- so if you take Walker Jenkins and he goes fourth, that's four points. But if he goes twelfth, then he eats twelve right. points. Right. So I'm getting your head. You got You got to who are the Pirates doing a deal with <laughs> I'm still not going to do that but um I think do I want to like go with what some of the scouts had said to me um stick up for your region I'm going stick to. up for you your region I'm going to and then and yes. then I am going to take Wyatt Langford with the number one pick um and I'm listening to the couple people that think that he's going to go ahead of Dylan Cruz uh when all is said and done I like the tools um the the overall tools i think he's a better pure hitter than dylan cruz um so i will i will take wyatt langford number one leaving you to take our number one and two guys off the board if you so choose yeah i I, i'll admit you know as i overthink all these things i I was hoping in in our serpentine draft i would get picks two and three because you know we we just said there's a big three yeah so i was i was hoping for picks two and three (laughs) and i will just you're lucky I didn't mistype your name. <laughs> I know. I know. It, it, it's shorter. It was a lot shorter, so it's easier. But um, and, and there's no like we don't. It doesn't matter what order we pick the guys in. It's solely where they go in the draft. So it doesn't matter if I pick Cruz ahead of Dollander and Dollander. No. Nope. Okay. Well, I'm just gonna. T- I mean, I, I think you would have yeah. done the same thing, Jonathan. Yes. Like there were a clear top three. I'm. Just, I was easily gonna just take the top two guys that you didn't take. So I will take Dylan Cruz. I will take Chase Dollander. We've talked about both those guys. But I do think we don't know. It'll we'll see if that plays out. But if the Pirates handle this like they did last time, they might not take any of those three guys. So, so the potential number one overall pick might still be on the board. Still be out there, Jonathan, and you have two shots at him. I do. So so enjoy. It's funny because I was kind of hoping that Jim, you would have the first pick and you'd take Cruz, and then I'd take <laughs> Dollander and Langford. Um, so we, we were in the same the same. So you know, I took a little a very small mini risk. Here's the thing: like, if we went according to sort of scratch, and Paul Skeens would be next, then I I'm pausing a little bit because there's the slight question mark with him. So, I am going to take Max Clark, the high school outfielder from Indiana. I don't feel we need to break him down anymore. And you know what? After I just pause there, I am going to take Paul Skeens. Um, <laughs> the other, co- another college arm. I, you know, I was looking at the other options and, you know, his stuff is so good. Um, I, I think last year scares me a little bit because so many of the college arms got hurt. So I'm like, pitching, but I will take Paul Skeens as, as my second pick in this go round. I, I do think Paul Skeens was the toughest guy in this draft because I do think he has potential to go number one. And also, we're basing this. I mean, he he was good with Team USA. He was really good, you know, at Air Force. Mm-hmm. I mean, he has track record. But like, if Paul Skeens went tenth, like, sure, like, like, there's there's more volatility with him than I think anybody in our top ten, if that makes sense. Well, maybe maybe Waldrop has more volatility, but anybody in our top nine, um, I'm going to take. I'm you know, I'm going to play it safe here. Maybe can I pick five SEC guys? I don't know if I can pull this off, but um, um but but <laughs> the I, thought has crossed my mind. But I'm going to take college position players. I think are the safest bets when when everything's equal. I think teams like their college position players early. Mm-hmm. So I will take Jacob Gonzalez at Mississippi. It's interesting on him. I mean, I really like Jacob Gonzalez, but he's a forty runner. He it's not traditional shortstop quickness. I, I'm still going to take him, and then showing. 
that, that I can evolve. I'm, I'm not set in my ways. I could take the speedster who's not a slugger. I'm going to take Enrique Bradfield. I, I just wow. think, you know, his defense, his on-base skills, his speed are going to provide value. So I, I'm going to go Enrique Bradfield there. And, and I, I kind of have in my mind who I want with my next pick, and, and we'll see if you take him. <laughs> now I really want to take him. I think the question is, now comes, do I play it safe or do I roll the dice a little bit? I want you to roll the dice because I think well, if I roll the playing it safe. Roll the dice. Roll the dice. Shocker. Um, all right. Well, I'm going to play it safe first and take Jacob Wilson, uh, the short stuff from Grand Canyon, Jack's son, because I, I think the power is going to show up and his hit tool is just ridiculous and that kind of safe bet if he starts driving the ball and plays a decent shortstop is going to, is going to go really good. And now I'm trying to decide, do, you know, do I go with another pitcher or, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to roll the dice. I'm going to take Walker Jenkins. And uh, so that gives me the two high school outfielders. Uh, I I just think that uh, his his power and hit tool uh, and his overall tools, but, especially the hit tool. I when all said and done, he may, you know, he, he combination of hit and power, it, it may be as, as good as anybody in the class. So uh, there you go. Yeah. I was mulling whether I should play it safe with another college guy or go for the ceiling of Walker Jenkins. Cause, cause I do think the high school guys are volatile. So I, I, I feel like the best strategy for this draft for me, especially since I was able to get two of the top three guys, is to kind of just hit the ball in the middle of the fairway and and take it easy. So I'm going to take Braden Taylor out of TCU, who's number 11 on our list. We didn't talk about him. Wow. And he's just a chance to be close to solid tools across the board. Maybe a chance to play shortstop, but really more of a third baseman or second baseman. Very consistent performer. Big 12 Conference Freshman of the Year. Cape Cod League All-Star. U.S. Collegiate National Team member. Um can really, really hit. Like, I really like what he, the way he does things at the plate. Really nice swing. Um, so I'm going to I'm gonna play it safe. Like, you know, Waldrop's interesting. Because, like, if Waldrop looks like he did this fall, yeah. maybe Waldrop's a top five pick. Yes. But if Waldrop has control command issues, maybe he goes 25th. So I, I'm just going to play it safe, and I'm not going to take our number 10 guy. I will take our number 11 guy, Braden Taylor. And I, I – I went very conservative with my picks here. So let me ask you something. If I had taken Waldrip, would you have taken Jenkins over Taylor? Uh, I think I would have gone Taylor. I, 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 okay. it's more, it's, it's more from a, you, you know how ridiculously competitive I am. Um, uh, yes. And I was looking at this very strategically. Like, I feel like it was a huge advantage to get two of the clear top three guys. And you took some volatility with Skeens you had volatility on your on your side, and I would have just said, you know what, Jonathan's got some guys who could go higher or lower. I'm go just big gonna or go home. A, I'm going to take a nice safe pick. So I would have taken Jacob Wilson or Braden Taylor um, with my pick, unless you had taken both. In which case, I probably would have just taken Jenkins. Although I, I will admit, and maybe I saw him at his absolute best, <laughs> which was draft All Star Game Futures Game Weekend. But all I did was see Aiden Miller go off, and we have Aiden Miller, number 12, high school third baseman from Florida. I, I, I almost would have been tempted by Aiden Miller, too. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I just went conservative because I felt like I didn't need to take a risk with it with that pick. Well, I, I was the Roy Tincup McAvoy of this draft. How's that for a reference? I, I hope you had several balls into the water before <laughs> finding the green. But everyone will be cheering my name and will remember me. That's fine. I, I will take the U.S. Open trophy and be happy. And you can have all the fame. <laughs> I, who won? Who won? Who won in Tin Cup? Do we remember who who was the winner of the U.S. Open? Uh, I don't remember. Was it the Don Johnson character that, who played it safe? I'm not sure. David Sims. Wow, that's quite the pull. Like, David, <laughs> well, I, I looked that up. Oh, okay. <laughs> but I don't remember. I honestly don't remember if he won or he played it safe and finished like second. Yeah, I don't remember either. Somebody's gonna have to tweet at us and let yeah, us know. Sure. But David Sims, I'm I'm very impressed that you came up with that one. Even even if you did look it up, <laughs> nice scoop. There there were a lot of real golfers in the movie. I haven't yes. watched the movie in forever, so I don't know if one of them won it or if it was David Sims or if it was Phil Mickelson. For all I know, I don't know. 
All right, back back to our list, guys. I'll write that. Uh, so, a few things I'm noticing here. For one, uh, do you know how many left-handed pitchers are in the top 40 prospects on this list? I will guess. I know there's not many. I will guess one just because I think you cut it off yep. at it for a certain reason. I know Thomas White's in yep. there. I can't remember. if it, That's it? Like, I know... I, like Thomas White's Jonathan's guy, and I know we have Adam Hockman who could go in the first round, who's from high school kid from Missouri, and Grayson Hit from Alabama, who had a great fall, but needs to prove it. I, I don't think we snuck either of them into the top 40. So I feel like you cut the line to make a point. <laughs> That's, exactly, that's exactly the case, because Hockman is number 41. Oh, there you go. The one left-handed pitcher in the top 40. Is, is this a trend that we've been – you guys know that we've been seeing over the years? Fewer left-handed pitchers? Frank Tiley. I don't feel like it. And like I said, I mean, I think Hockman and Hick could go in the first round. I'm, I'm just trying to remember who. Yeah. Who we had. I mean, last year, and like, it's hard to say last year because so many guys were hurt. You know, I mean, I, I don't remember. How. I mean, it does translate if you think about like into our like our minor league lists. Our left-handed pitching top ten, I feel like, gets thinned out in a, in a hurry. Well, so there, you know there, there are as lot many of lefties. lefties. Left. There were a ton of lefties last year looking at our list. How many, how many lefties do you think we had in our top 40 last year, our final list? Six. <laughs> Did you count them? That's very good. It was oh, No, six. no, that was a total guess. That, that was a great <laughs> guess because you had, we had the, the really strong high school crop of Brandon Barrera, Robbie Snelling, and Jackson Ferris, who all got paid. You had Connor Prelip, who didn't pitch last spring in Alabama. We had Carson Wisnett, who didn't pitch last spring in East Carolina because <laughs> he was suspended. And we had Cooper Jerpy. Who had a great year for Oregon State? So we had we had six in the top three, and then we had Noah Schultz went in the first round to the White Sox, and we had him ranked 49th. So I, I, I Jason, I mean, doing my my quick 10 second research here on the internet, I I think it's just an anomaly this year, and, and I do think Hockman and Hit for sure have the upside to go in the first round and, and could climb the list. We just need to see more out of them before they do. Is there anyone on this list in the bottom half? that you guys are particularly excited about that you think we could see make a big jump, potentially become a first rounder? Well, if we did for sure, he'd be up there. But I, I, will, <laughs> I, will, I will answer the question. How about if I give you my most intriguing guy in the bottom half of the draft? Sure. Because I, I don't see a guy. I mean, like Jackson Wiggins at Arkansas has that upside, but he hasn't shown the consistency. So, so he'd be one. But, but the, the guy who's my most intriguing – I have the 2023 version of Ben Joyce. Are you excited? Are you excited for this? Oh, boy. George, no, I'm serious. Like George Clausen, <laughs> like yes. Ben Joyce, had Tommy John surgery, hasn't pitched a lot. He, he missed 2021 at Minnesota. He worked seven and two-thirds innings last spring. He gave up 14 runs and 14 walks in those seven and two-thirds innings. But he touched 100. He hit 102 this summer in the Northwoods League. And he looked unbelievable in the fall. He, uh, you know, I, I had guys who said they didn't th see him throw a pitch under 99. Again, it, it's shorter stance. It's two inning outings in the fall, mostly. Didn't see a pitch under 99 in the fall. He, he came up with a sharp mid-80s slider. He, he's had a, a downer curveball in the past with power. And both of those could be plus pitches when he could command them. Um, he probably has the quickest arm in the draft. There is some effort. He has to prove he can throw strikes, but he, but he did throw strikes this fall. Like his delivery was much more in sync. Um, and I mean, he's, I'd say he's probably the whole most volatile player on the entire top 100, where if he put things together and threw like this in the spring, he's a first rounder. And if he walks everybody and can't put it together, then you're taking him in the third or fourth round. But he's, he's my most intriguing guy from the bottom half of the draft. It's uh, it's perfect that you answered it that way, Jim, because that was actually the genesis of my question is I was kind of I was wondering whether there was I didn't want to go as specific as is there a Ben Joyce of this year? But that was that was what instigated that question. So but you have to ask Jonathan now if he has a Sonny Deshara in his half of the draft. I do not. Um, I, I don't think. Um, you know, I'm not going to play it safe. The, the, the first guy that sort of came to mind was Johnny Formello, who is a high schooler from Virginia. And I think it's mostly because I keep thinking of these high school guys in the mid-Atlantic region who kind of jumped up like the James Triantos of the world. But um, 
<laughs> Jim just slacked me who I'm actually going to talk about. So I, I knew you were because you love this guy. I do. I do. Guy. It's Homer Bush Jr. And yes, part of it is like I remember his father playing while, you know, covering him. And now his son is coming through. But he's really interesting because, like, you go and look at uh, um, look up his numbers, and you know, at Grand Canyon, he's another great. First of all, he's going to get seen a ton because of Jacob Wilson. Um, two area scouts love him, like his, his his makeup and how hard he's worked. People who knew him in high school and have seen him from then till now, he's made huge advancements. He had a you know, a decent showing in the Cape. The power has not shown up. He can run. He can really field. Uh, but even this fall, I said he has gotten a lot stronger. He's been working really hard. So he's the guy who was kind of on the borderline whether he was going to make it onto the list. He's at 88. Um, and I think that he is going to have a huge spring in front of a lot of people and move up into first round uh, you know, conversations because the combination of ridiculous tools and bloodlines, you know, that, that's a good combination when it then translates into performance in your draft year. And Jonathan, he's, he's obviously in your area and not mine, but I even had guys bring him up to me just in conversation yep. as, you know, had a tremendous fall and like a, a great pick to click for this, for the spring. So I, I, I think he's a perfect compliment to George Clausen. Like those are, Two, you know, volatile, potential volatile stock, you know, pitcher and hitter, but who've just created a really a lot of buzz during the fall. All right, guys, finally, a couple other guys who are intriguing just for the fact that they play both ways. Number 26, Bryce Eldridge and number 82, Nolan McClain. And I'll throw in there, Paul Skeens, I mean, he's going to get drafted as a pitcher, but he's got huge power. I think he's going to hit for LSU. And I think Paul Skeens would be a second-round pick as a position player. I, th- he'd, I think he'd go even higher than that if he wasn't 6'6", 235, and you're probably looking at a first baseman. He's a ridiculously talented player, but we just listed him as a right-hander only because I don't see any way he gets drafted as a hitter. And with the other two guys, do they both have a shot at being drafted either way? Do they both have a shot at playing both ways? Well, Nolan McLean, I feel like we could just replay something Jim said last year. Um, <laughs> or even going back to high right. school. I, I, he was a two-week high. I, I'll, I'll answer him quickly, yeah. Jonathan, and I'll let you take Bryce Eldridge, who's from my uh, arch-rival high school there in, in Vienna, Virginia, James Madison, not Oakton. So, uh, but that's fine. I, James Triantos and I get along, so I'm sure I can get along with Bryce Eldridge as well. But, um, you know, I mean, we saw it last year. You know, Nolan McLean – he's so interesting. He's got huge power. He set a NCAA record with 107 strikeouts last year as a hitter, got off to a horrible start and then was just crushing bombs. I mean, he can hit the ball. I mean, he has as much raw power as anybody in the draft. There's obviously swing and miss there. Um, Great arm. Anyway, like you think of these guys a lot of times as position players first, and he wants to hit. He doesn't want to give up hitting, but he got drafted as a pitcher last year. Because he's up to 98 miles an hour. He's shown like a wipeout slider at times. Um, he was a reliever last year. I think he's going to get the chance to start for Oklahoma State. They're going to move him to the outfield to, to save some wear and tear in the arm because they're going to use him as a pitcher more. And the Orioles actually drafted him as a pitcher last year. And, and we're going to let him DH. But something came up with his MRI. They made him a third-round pick. And he wound up not signing. But he they would have actually... Like, it's the old, I think they preferred him as a pitcher. He wants to hit. They were going to let him do both. We'll see where it goes. But yeah, I think Nolan McLean absolutely could get drafted either way. I think he's probably a safer bet as a pitcher because of the swing and miss. But it is hard to walk away from that power and he wants to hit. So it might be a case where you have to let him do one before he, he moves to the other. But he absolutely could get drafted both ways. I think Bryce Eldridge is I don't think this will happen, but I think that he would be the best chance to be allowed to do both at the next level. Um, and, and I think teams are sort of backing off the, the excitement of that. You know, they post sort of Shohei Otani, let's let people do both in the minors and see what happens. But uh, you could talk to 
you know, a whole bunch of scouts and some insist that he's only a pitcher, not only a pitcher, but that he's definitely a pitcher. And some are like, no, he can hit. And the thing that I like best about Bryce Elders is I talked to him during PDP league and he, he'd, he'd been hurt uh, his junior year. So he hadn't, he had only DH'd uh, and he hadn't pitched. So he was shaking off a little rust. And I asked him like, well, what do you prefer? And he was like, whatever's going good for me that day. You know, so I think that he's not going to be one of these guys, at, at least, you know, based on conversations I've had with scouts and talking to the kid who's going to say, don't draft me if I can't hit. I think if a team says, we'll take you in the first round, if you're willing to pitch or hit, he'll say, yep. Um, but he has legitimate skills on both sides of the ball. You know, he's six foot seven. Um, but you know, he is a really, really good athlete. And so he repeats his delivery. Well, he actually has a good, um, left-handed swing, probably could play an outfield corner. Uh, he doesn't, you know, he plays, you know, first base one because of the injury to, you know, to, to sort of rest his arms. That's where people may have seen him over the summer when he did play a position. Um, but it's going to be really interesting to see if one jumps to the four uh, during the, the spring in, in the Virginia high school ranks. That, that's just classic Fairfax County makeup right there, Jonathan. <laughs> and, and, and Royals scouting director, or he's been promoted, but Lonnie Goldberg with the Royals knows what I'm talking about. So it's just classic Fairfax County. Reminds a lot of people of a young Jim Callis. That's correct. Yeah, I was I was a no way player. <laughs> so, uh, I was skilled at neither. All right, so the top 100 2023 draft prospects list up on MLB.com/pipeline now. Go check it out. Uh, we are going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to break down the big three way trade that involves several prospects. That's coming up next on the MLB Pipeline podcast. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. We've been talking about the draft, but we want to change gears a little bit and talk about a big trade that just happened. Uh, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, we were you know, waiting for a, a big trade at the winter meetings. Did not happen. We only had a couple trades, uh, relatively minor trades involving prospects there. But we got a big one coming out of the winter meetings. Uh, the A's, the Braves, and the Brewers. Uh, I'm sure just about everybody listening to this podcast has probably heard the details about this as of now, but the A's get uh, outfielder Estuary Ruiz from the Brewers, uh, who was Milwaukee's number eight ranked prospect. Also got catcher Manny Pena from the Braves, and then three more prospects from Atlanta, including their number one prospect, Kyle Moeller, uh, left-handed pitcher, and then a couple of right-handers, Freddie Tarnock, who was number six on the Braves list, and Roy Roiber Salinas, uh, who was number 18. So the A's with a pretty big haul there, and they got that for Sean Murphy. He went to the Braves, and then the Brewers got William Contreras from the Braves. So the Braves uh, go from uh, their catcher of the future being Contreras to their future of now being Murphy. And uh, the Brewers also got in that deal uh, right-hander Joel Pyamps from the A's and right-hander Justin Yeager from the Braves. So a really interesting deal here. Maybe the most interesting thing to me, the fact that the Brewers got those three players and only gave up Estuary Ruiz. This had a lot of people talking, and I, I saw a lot of different opinions on this trade as to who got the best deal, who got fleeced, who fleeced the others. Where where'd you guys come down on you this? You know, I think that um, the more I think about it, because my, my, my original instinct was, boy, I think the A's did pretty well um, in bringing in good talent for Sean Murphy. And then I started, you know, Sean Murphy, I think, Jim, you had, you had mentioned this, like, he's, you know, he, he's still young, he's under control, he's not making a lot of money. Um, and it gives the Braves an everyday catcher. Um, so it, it, maybe it's a little more even. I, I think I'm somewhat still amazing because the Braves system has been thinned out because they've been winning and they make trades. 
you know, and, and, and that stands to reason that if you're going to win every year, it's hard to maintain. Yet they always manage to trade more guys or have guys make it up to the big leagues and, and make an impact. So, uh, you know, I give them credit for, um, you know, for being able to put this together. I think the, the Brewers were, you know, I don't know when they sort of dropped into the equation, um, you know, did well here, but, you know, I, I do the A's and Braves list. Um, and, you know, for the A, for the A's to be able to add uh, four players to their top 30, three in the top 11 uh, was good. And, you know, in Pena, Muller and Ruiz, those are three guys who are who are expected to be on their opening day roster. So they got guys who will help them and hopefully make an impact right now. I, I am less nice than Jonathan, and, and you guys both know that probably. I think most people will probably say that. And uh, they do, but not to your face usually. No, they, they, I think I think you're most people would agree. Jonathan Mayo, better human being than Jim Callis. <laughs> not that I'm terrible, <laughs> but wow. I hate. I, I don't like this trade for the A's at all. I, I'll be honest with you. Um, I, if I was ranking the teams in how they did this trade, I would go Brewers one, Braves two, A's three. I think the Braves distant because they didn't have a deep. What's that? A distant three. Yes, I, I like the other two halls. I I don't like what the A's did here. I think the Brewers had to get involved because the Braves system, while it has produced Michael Harris and Spencer Strider and Von Grissom, is not super deep right now. It, it's. I think in our bottom five farm systems when we did our midseason rankings. And I don't think they had that. Like Kyle Muller was number one on your Braves list, right, Jonathan? I think. Yes. Like they didn't have that. And he's not on the top 100. They didn't have a top 100 guy. Not that, that Asturias Ruiz was. But I think the A's obviously liked Asturias Ruiz. The Braves had less use for William Contreras if they were getting Sean Murphy. So, you know, th that's how the Brewers kind of finagled their way in the trade. But I look at the Brewers' take. I, I'm not a huge Asturias Ruiz fan. I know he led the minors in steals. I know his walk rate was higher this year. He doesn't hit the ball really hard. I don't know if there's a lot of impact there. I don't know if it's new the profile you hate. I don't know if yeah exactly. I don't know if the new plate discipline is real or if it, I, I think he had his career year this year, and now the Brewers finally have something with the Josh Hader trade that's positive that their fans can say, well, I guess it wasn't the worst trade ever in terms of what it did to our team, but. I think they sold high on Asturias Ruiz and they got an all-star catcher. Yes, Contreras is offense ahead of defense, but he's an all-star catcher and you got him for Asturias Ruiz and you got a couple, I'm not saying they're going to be studs, but you know, Piamps is a interesting reliever who had a decent year last year and Justin Yeager has got a live arm. You got those guys thrown in. I love that for the Brewers. Like, I don't think they gave up that much from the, the Braves standpoint. You know, they got one of the best defensive catchers. You could argue the best defensive catcher in baseball. Not that everything can be boiled down perfectly to war, but Sean Murphy had the third best war among all major league catchers last year. And he's arbitration eligible now, so I know that's terrible from the A's perspective, but you control him for three more years. The Brewers control Contreras for five more years. And and then I go and look at what the, you know, and the guys the Braves gave up, you know, Kyle Moore, interesting guy, never been able to crack their rotation. So it wasn't like he was at the forefront of their plans. And now I look at what the A's got and, I do like Kyle Muller. Jonathan, I know you do the Braves list. We've talked about this. He he threw a lot more strikes this year. That's encouraging because coming into the year, I would have said, ah, I think yeah. he's more multi-inning reliever than starter. So maybe he's a starter. But Kyle Muller is 25 years old, entering his eighth year of, of pro ball, and he's not an established big leaguer. And I would just submit that most guys with that you know age and that many years of experience who aren't established big leaguers don't become on go on really to be difference makers. I said I wasn't a huge Asturias Ruiz fan. I think he's an extra guy. Salinas and Tarnock have very big arms. They might be more like Salinas doesn't throw a lot of strikes. I'm kind of convicted he's more reliever than starter. I think Tarnock could go either way. But I, I, I just look at this, and you may have gotten a fourth outfielder, and you may have gotten uh, you know a number four or five starter maybe, and a couple relievers like. I, I just think you have to wish for a lot of things to go really well for these guys, for this trade to, to in the long run, make sense for the A's. I will say, I do like Shea Langoliers. You guys know that. So, like, I, I'm all for, you know, hey, you had Shea Langoliers, you had Sean Murphy. So I could see trading Sean Murphy. The A's never want to pay anybody. But uh, I don't know. I think for a cost-controlled catcher, yeah, he's going to arbitration. But I can control him for three years, and I can always trade him down the road if I want. I don't think they got enough for Sean Murphy. I, I don't think this trade does anything 
to help get the A's back on the on the road to contention. I, I don't like it very much at all for, from Oakland's perspective. I think what it you know really boils down to is, you know is how much you believe in last year, right? For for the two top prospects that the A's got, right? So if you believe that the 2022 seasons in the minors for Kyle Muller and Estri Ruiz were real, like real adjustments and advancements for both of them, then this trade potentially looks better. We're going to find out in a hurry because both those guys are, you know, Muller's going to be in the rotation and Ruiz is going to be in the opening day lineup. And, uh, you know, barring something that, you know, happens in, in spring training, but they're going to get their full-time opportunities and then we'll, then we'll see. I'm out of breath after that that diatribe. So I know I was not. I wasn't expecting that. You, you should have watched MLB Network this morning because I I gave a longer version of that take. I was I was all prepared. It was in my head and stored up because I'd already delivered it once. But I'm done diatribing. Several hot takes. Yes. <laughs> Don't get me started. Don't get me in more trouble than I already. Have. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, let's move on to the mailbag. We've got a question here from our old friend Stephen DeAlazio, Stevie D. ALES97 on Twitter asks, if the Reds are going to trade one of their shortstop prospects, who's the most likely to be traded? Jonathan, this one was just teed up for you. This might be the easiest uh, mailbag question we've ever received in terms of uh, having a response prepared. Yeah. uh, Let me see if I can think of a name here. Um, No. So we did a trade prospect for each team recently. And the player that I used for the Cincinnati Reds happens to be uh, one of their shortstop prospects. And that's Matt McClain, um, who, you know, was their uh, first round pick in 2021, uh, spent his first full season uh, in double A, and then went to the Arizona Fall League. You know, he did some good things you know he hit 17 homers he stole 27 bases he walked a bunch of times i think the thing that surprised uh me and a lot of people is how much he he struck out um but you know he went to the fall he was our priority guy at short uh but if i'm looking at their shortstop prospects you've got ellie de la cruz and edwin arroyo ahead uh of him uh, on their list uh you know, I think even if Ellie De La Cruz isn't a shortstop long term just because of his size, Edwin Arroyo definitely is. Now, McLean could slide over and play second base. We know the Reds aren't afraid to move their college bats around. But if they were going to make a, a like a fairly decent splash in making a trade, I think he is the guy uh, who still has value uh, as a former first rounder. Um, you know. Uh, who maybe or may not be a pure shortstop, you know, so that, you know, so that makes him a little less exciting to me than say Edwin Arroyo and Ellie De La Cruz is not going to be traded because his upside is ridiculous. So he is the guy for me that, uh, that answers this question and had answered this question previously. Yeah. And I was going to say, Jonathan, I tried to come up with another answer just to have a, a, a different take or, but he's he's the logical guy. Yeah. I, I mean, there's just no other way of looking at it. They have a lot of shortstops on their list, but like they're they're 100 not trading Ellie De La Cruz, who's right up there with Jackson Churio is like the most exciting prospect for a lot of pro scouts in the minors. And like you mentioned, maybe Ellie De La Cruz mentioned moves off short anyway. Whatever, they're not trading him. Noelvi Marte isn't a shortstop. He might not be a third baseman, but the power is real. I don't think they're going to trade Noel V. Marte. And I think Edwin Arroyo, who we have all three of these guys ranked ahead of Matt McLean, is the best defender. He's he's the most natural shortstop. And again, I'm not we're not saying they're going to trade one of these guys. Um, you know, you mentioned Matt McLean probably yeah, I think he probably does fit better at second base in the long run. I, I think, you know, he did kind of make an effort to hit for more power this year, which explains the the, the, the performance he had, he did hit for power. He struck out more. But they also have Jonathan India, who's one of their best big leaguers at, at second base. So if they were to trade a shortstop, and again, you know, they're trying to rebuild, so I don't know if they're necessarily going to trade prospects. But if they were, Matt McLean seems like the obvious guy to me in terms of the guy who would have the most value but still be expendable. So I, I tried to come up with an alternate take, but I, I cannot. You, you've 
many middle infielders on your on your reds list, maybe eight. Yes. But it's I, I cannot come up with another one. So I, I will wholeheartedly agree with you. All right. Thank you to our old friend Stevie D for that question. Thanks, everybody, for listening. That's going to do it for this week's episode of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next week.